This is the Patriots Catch 22 podcast with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Hello, everybody. Nailed it. Joined as always by our Barth. That's a bit. That's a match. No risk it, no risk it. 22. Here is Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. The information tells us, the data tells us, as I know you love to hear. Oh, yeah. The data tells us that nothing says football like math. Football like math is, I mean, that's the summation of our relationship right there. It's just me being a nerd for the math and you being a nerd but hating the math, which just doesn't make any sense. A dork. A dork is a nerd that doesn't do math. But that, I just can't, for the life of me, I can't figure that out. You, I just told you what it is. You're anti-math, but we both I'm are anti- admittedly nerdy. I, I don't like math it doesn't in, make di- any just sense. in different ways. I don't, like ma- I don't like math with my sports. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't. I really don't. It's Alex Barth. It's Evan Lazar. It's Patriots Catch-22. Faith behind the glass today doing her, her maiden voyage solo. How's it going so far, Faith? Good? Yeah, it's got good on our end. No no hiccups over here, so that's great. So we have a lot of draft uh, content to talk about. We're going to do draft for majority of the next hour and a half. We can promise you that. Everybody was teasing us about that, Alex, on, on Unfiltered. Well, we'll call back, you know, for the draft <laughs> content. Don't worry about <laughs> it. All right, we got Catch-22 coming up. They'll, they'll hit the draft, no problem. But it's the, an off-season show. That's what I always tell people. This is an off. We, we, look, we that, love football season. So I love true. watching football and, and breaking down the games is fun. But at the end of the day, look, the show began or the the first version of the show yes. began in January. It did. It's an off-season show. This is what we are here for this time of year. This is our regular season. We are better. Not that we are not to toot our own horns. Not that we stink at talking during football season, but. Our draft free agency, like that's our wheelhouse. This yeah, is this even is a, camp. We just get excited. We get into it. That that's our wheelhouse. Now, we that, fully embrace the concept that the NFL doesn't have a true offseason. Doesn't that's have basically a true off what this show is. Very true. That being said, before we get into the draft stuff, the topic of the day or the news of the day from the Patriots standpoint is the three finalists for the Patriots Hall of Fame. So Fred and Paul and a bunch of other uh, beat reporters and writers were in a room a couple weeks ago. I think that was almost two weeks ago now. To I think it was last week. To uh, put the ballot together, the finalists yeah. together, and then the fans will go then and vote on the finalists. So you get to say who goes in from this point on. It, it's up on Patriots.com. You can vote now. Uh, I think the vote is between now and the end of the draft. I think like early May, May second is where the vote ends. And uh, the three finalists are Logan Makins, Mike Vrabel, and Bill Parcells. Yeah. Now I left Bill Parcells last. For, you could barely for even get his name out. And uh, we're gonna get to it a little bit here, but I, quickly. Because I think you, you know, we just talked about this a lot on PU. Personally, I would vote for Mike Vrabel. Yeah, I think Mike Vrabel is the last core piece of the Dynasty 1.0 defense that it doesn't have a red jacket yet. We're talking about right. Richard Seymour and Rodney and Ty Law and McGinnis and Brewski. He's really the last piece of that puzzle that won three championships. That was a core uh, piece from a locker room standpoint. That isn't. In the Hall of Fame, I'd also say Deuce kind of brought this up and it, it made me think and agree on, on this point as well that he kind of embodies a patriot, right? A guy yeah. that was not your 
first overall pick, not really the most decorated player early on, was kind of bouncing around before he got to New England. He comes to New England, and he becomes a megastar with the Patriots and a really dominant player uh, for his uh, peak years. So I would personally vote for Mike Vrabel. I am obviously strongly against, as everybody knows by now, (laughs) strongly against the tuna being on this list. But what is your your take on the finalists? So I'm with you with Vrabel. I think he's the most due at this point. They are scheduled, or they're supposedly working on joint practices with the Titans. Yeah, it sounds like I, if if they do a Vrabel ceremony, it would probably be like in the dead period of the off season instead of doing it in t- in Nashville. But it would be kind of cool, and I think the joint practices are there. But like if they were here, it would have been cool, right, to do yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I mean for all the reasons you said, like tip, like like three rings embodied the Patriot way, all of that. I think he deserves to be in. I'm not going to push back on anybody who says Logan Mankin, so I think there's a fair case to be made for him, although he doesn't have a ring. This is the first time since 2015 only one of the nominees has at least one Super Bowl so ring. So Bill Parcells didn't win a Super Bowl with or, the Patriots? Or not with the Patriots. I mean, Parcells has no, rings no, from I, other places, but I, he, I, didn't, I, I, yes, I, he did not win a Super Bowl with the up. Patriots. He did save football in New England, but we'll get to that. Did he, did he say? He helped. I Jesus. think that... I still think Vrabel's the most deserving. Mankins, yeah. Mankins kind of has that weird distinction where he was here from tw- 2005 to 2013. Yeah. So he missed a Super Bowl by one year on each end. It's a yeah. reverse Vince Wilfork, whose first year and last right. year were the bookends of that. I also think it would be kind of cool to have an offensive line year and have Mankins and Skarnickia going together. That is cool. Because, right, there'd be a I lot of, of that. overlap and synergy there, yeah. and they could probably do stuff together. So... Uh, like, does that make Mankins more deserving than Vrabel? No, but, like, selfishly, I kind of want to see what the lead-up to that induction would be like because, one, I feel like Scar gets more attention that way, which he deserves. Yeah. And, again, you'd kind of get the two of them maybe together telling stories and well, what I talk about a Scar player, yeah, what always Logan Mankins. Yeah, f- fascinates me along the same lines is that when we were in Indianapolis for the Combine, uh, we got to hang out a little bit with Sebastian Vollmer, who was doing stuff for yeah. Patriots Deutschland while we were there. And he talked about the workout at the University of Houston that he had with Dante that was the reason the Patriots drafted him and right. surprisingly drafted him in the second round, a guy that didn't get invited to the Combine. Uh, I believe Vollmer is still the highest draft pick to not be invited to the Combine in NFL history. Uh, so along those same lines, you know, Dante could clearly tell stories about how they scouted Logan Mankins and how they worked with him before the draft and all those types of background and information. So that would be cool. The offensive line synergy I hadn't considered. And the other thing is three in terms of inductees, right? Three in a row, four of the last five, seven of the last nine have been defensive players. And we know it was a defensive team back then. And that makes sense. But you break that mold a little bit, you break it up, you get Logan Mankins in there. As for Parcells. As for Parcells. I, three people saved football in New England as it is. Kraft, Belichick, or sorry, Kraft, Bledsoe, and, and Parcells. Yeah. They did. The, RKK. There is a St. Louis yep. Stallions hat in the Patriots team hall, or at least there used to be in the Patriots team hall of fame. I don't know if it's still there, but there was at one point. Right, but the reason why the Patriots are not in St. Louis is because of Mr. Kraft, not because... Of Bill Parcells. Yeah, there's an el- but there's an element of st- maybe that maybe Kraft's the reason they're not in St. Louis, but they were they were more relevant because of Parcells after they had some really rough years I, in the I early nineties. I can't I, I can't disagree with that. So point. here's the thing. I think Bill Parcells 
like it or not, is a very important part of Patriots history. You have to agree with that. He got them to a Super Bowl, okay, Evan, so, and look, so he's my, ultimately uh, the reason Bill Belichick ended up here. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Now, no. You can't do that. Listen. No. I, that's where I draw No, you got to let me finish. No. He, the reason Bill Belichick up here is, ended up here is tied to Bill Parcells, but it's because of Bill Parcells' unceremonious exit kind no, of kicked off that chain of events. No, so that doesn't give – Bill Parcells doesn't get credit I'm for not, that. No, but I'm not giving him credit. But I think some people look at it that way. I would, I all give, I'm saying is yeah. when Parcells was here, he did some great things. We so. don't look at Parcells – we shouldn't look at Parcells negatively because of his tenure in New England – the negative connotation with Parcells is the way in which he left. Is that disqualifying for the Patriots Hall of Fame? No, because there's some other guys didn't leave in great ways that have gotten in and will continue to get in. But, three, what is it, three years, four years, one Coach of the Year appearance, one Super Bowl, he didn't win it. There are other guys that should get in before him. I think he probably should get in eventually, and hopefully it's in his lifetime, but not over Mankins. Not over Vrabel, although I'm maybe I'm just saying this because I'm kind of curious what his speech would be. I'm kind of curious what he'd have to say. Okay, here, here's here's what I'm gonna say uh, on Parcells. I, I I used on PU. I, I talked about the the groceries, right? Like, yeah. I, if I can't shop for the groceries, so everybody likes to give Bill Parcells credit for laying the foundation by drafting some of the key players that were in Dynasty 1.0. People in the chat are saying they're all going in and voting for Bill Parcells right now, by the way. No, don't do that. (laughs) This is like when a bunch of people sell their stock at the same time. We're just (laughs) shorting the stock. So that's a, a big part of it for me is that Bill Parcells famously, his famous line on yeah. his way out was... Well, if I can't shop for the groceries, how am I supposed to make the dinner? But then everybody that supports Bill Parcells for the Patriots Hall of Fame tells me that he drafted the the defense in one in 1.0. And I'm like, well, he can't have it both ways. He can't have that line on the way out and then tell me that it's his, he's the reason why those players were here. Now, Perillo tells me that that was only one draft. It was Terry Glenn, right? That that draft. Right. And the rest of it was— Which, by the way, Terry Glenn ended up being the right pick. Right. But. And then and the rest of the draft, everybody was, was Parcells guys, whatever, okay? The bigger argument that I would use against Bill Parcells, because clearly I'm an anti-Bill Parcells guy when it comes to the Patriots Hall of Fame, is he is the coach— He's not even the coach before the coach. He's two coaches before the coach, right? Because Pete Carroll's in there too. So, but he's the coach before the dynasty, but right? But Pete Carroll should be in the Patriots Hall of Fame for calling that pass play in Super Bowl Forty Nine. Put them both in. So that was a joke. Yeah, I just know. To be clear, Bill Parcells is the coach before the dynasty. Let's forget about Pete Carroll for a second, right? But I think that's the point. Everybody does forget about Pete Carroll. He is yeah. the guy. Bo- let me it's finish. an, it's an imperfect analogy. Pete Carroll, let's say Mac Jones works out. Yeah. Pete Carroll is Cam Newton. We're still going to call Mac Jones the guy after Tom Brady. Right. Even though Cam Newton was here for a year, Mac yeah. Jones was the next guy. Right. That's Parcells is the guy before Bill and yeah. the guy before the dynasty. Okay, that's the argument, right? He laid the yeah. foundation. He changed football in, in New England, all those types of things. So to me, it's like, are the Warriors going to let Mark Jackson? into their team hall of fame because Mark Jackson 
was the coach when they drafted Steph Curry and they drafted Clay Thompson, and they drafted Draymond Green, right? But then Steve Kerr came in and they won the championships with Steve Kerr. So does now is Mark Jackson all of a sudden deserve all this credit for the Warriors run? Like, are we going to, you know, Rick Pitino drafted Paul Pierce. Are we going to give him credit for the Celtics winning the championship 10 years later? Like, oh, you can keep going down this line. Like, who's the, who's the Bruins coach that drafted Patrice Bergeron? Like, when they won in 2011, is it that guy's – is that guy – is it his credit, right? Or is it Claude Julian? You know, it, to me, awarding a guy for drafting a few players and, and laying a foundation, so to speak, while ignoring the fact that the two biggest changing – points that led to six Super Bowls were Bill Belichick and Tom Brady that have nothing to do with Bill Parcells. But nobody's saying you can't put those guys in. Look, I I just think that my whole point is with Parcells, along with how he left, along with that he was a 500 coach in New England, along with the fact that he was only here for four years, along with the fact that he kicked off to Desmond Howard, along for the fact that he didn't block Reggie White in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, all those pieces aside... He left in 96, and they didn't win until 01. There was even another coaching regime in there. So there was, to to me, it just doesn't, the connection is not there to the dynasty. It just isn't there. But it's not the dynasty hall of fame. Again, like he should, you know, but that's the biggest thing on his resume was that he laid the foundation to the dynasty. I don't think, I think we look at it that way because we're younger. This is where I think we have to defer to people who are around. He, when the franchise was teetering on the brink, yeah, he maybe he didn't make it a dynasty, but he came in and made it relevant and added legitimacy, and he won That's a coach fair. of the year, and he took them to the Super Bowl. Because coach of the year is a very prestigious award. Well, it was back then. Guys don't get fired a year later. Yeah. Look, I I think that the dynasty guys should get in first, even the in between guys. Vrabel, Mankins, we got to get Randy Moss in. Need absolutely needs. You don't think Randy Moss should be in? I don't think he will get in. Okay, that's another conversation. Moss yeah. should be in. Uh, Welker, right? Who kind of some people are surprised. Obviously, we've got Brady and Gronkowski still yeah. coming. Steven Gostowski's going to get in at some point, I would think. Uh-huh. His franchise all-time leading scorer. I would think he gets in. He's a kicker. Yeah, Fred he's going to... Gonna, actually, is Vinatieri even in yet? No, he's not in Okay, yet. so there's a... so Vinatieri is going to get in. Right. Gostowski's not, not These are close. all guys that should get in. Yes. Ivan Fears is another one, so by the way. Is, There's coaches. Th- this so is the other thing to me. I am not opposed overall yes. to Bill Parcells being in because I, should be. we do this all the time with the, with the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I, it's a stupid saying, but it makes sense. You can't tell the story of the New England Patriots oh without Don't Bill Parcells. But. No. There's so many people that need to get in before him. So that's the other big thing to me as well, and this is we were talking about this a little bit too, is I think the way that and I'm not blaming, you know, Mr. Kraft for not yeah. putting Bill Parcells in himself, but the way that it's been handled with Dante is is perfect, right? Because Bill Parcells is a contributor. I think that there either needs to be a con- the contributor category could yeah. maybe qualify for this, or maybe the committee votes on like coaches and executives separately separately and maybe the committee just votes those guys in without a fan vote right so bill parcells gets in that way ernie adams gets in that way that's another guy we need to get in ivan fears gets i'm gonna feel bad about all the guys i left right like that's how those people find their way into the patriots hall of fame and then you maybe have the the bigger the biggest problem that i have with parcells is is actually probably not really parcells himself i think the bigger issue that i have 
is that he is not more deserving than the players that are on the ballot. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's a. I, I'm not opposed to him being in eventually, but there's so many guys that need to be in before him. Yeah, that's I think the biggest players thing to me. and coaches, etc. The players are a Hall of Fame. To me, is about the players, right? Yeah, I think it's about the organization. But it, it, I'm just saying to me, it's about the okay. players. But the like, players come first. Scar being in makes a lot of sense. Of course, but Scar got in. By executive privilege, okay. which is what I think that so I, 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 I don't think that Mr. Kraft's going to put Bill Parcells no, in by executive no, privilege, but maybe we can get a different category. And I would actually feel comfortable with that category being voted on in that room that day. Yeah. And maybe they make the case for Parcells. They make the case for Ernie. They make the case for Ivan Fears. And each year you let in one of these. Well, it doesn't have to. And maybe maybe there has to be like a like the Baseball Hall of Fame. Where, like, there has to be a percentage of the vote, right? So maybe they don't do it that way. Maybe they just make a ballot of all these guys ahead of time. And then if you get 80% yes, then you get in, you know? So that way there, it's not like a, a situation where guys are, are just, everybody gets in. Well, you, know, look, you don't want it to be a participation trophy. They've done that in the past. I remember a couple of years, John, John Morris, who played, but John yeah. Morris got in with Bledsoe was like a special appointee. Obviously, Gil Santos getting in. Yeah. They've done it, you know, they put uh, Tracy Stormonti in last year, yeah, and this year was, it's going to be Scar. Right, that was an RKK one. So I, I, I honestly think yeah. that there is probably room for, like you're saying, you elect fans pick a player every year, right? and then the organization picks a non-player, and you do two a year. That yeah. might just be the way to do it. Do you believe Randy Moss should be in? Of course. Okay, good. But I just want to clear that up. It, last thing I'll say about this, because I really do want to get to the draft. Yeah, stuff I know. We, we this, is, this is what we do. Oh, we're going to spend yeah. five minutes on yeah. this 20 minutes uh, later. The last thing I'll, I, I'd say about this is I do think that there is – there is some pushback for those 07 and 11 teams, right? Like, because I put 11 in there because yeah. Welker was also part yeah. of the 11 team. The the teams that, that didn't win Super Bowls, but I still feel like the 07 team, for obvious reasons, is an all-time Patriot team. Yep. And then the 11 team offensively was one of the best offenses in NFL history. Right. Like, 07 was probably number one, but if you look on a lot of those lists of uh, best offenses in NFL history, uh, per the math, sorry, Alex, uh, the DVOA and stuff like that. I, I don't need math to tell me they were good. They were good, Evan. We saw it. 07, the greatest show on turf, 11 is right there. Like, 11 is not that far behind in terms of overall efficiency uh, I think Brady threw for 5,000 that yeah. year you know those types of things so I, those teams I feel like do have a little bit of a stench on them because they didn't finish the job but at the same time they were individually great Patriot teams that deserve more recognition one more guy who they might need to put in yes. I, this this was maybe a little more uh, 50-50 Deion Branch uh, he did win a Super Bowl MVP yeah. I, I think the longevity of his career two Super Bowls him. came back he was on that 11 team that's true not back. not ahead of any of the guys necessarily we named, but he's another guy I could see. Okay, let's All take right. some of these calls, and that will segue us into draft yeah. talk. Eight five five Pats five hundred is the phone number if you want to call in. Uh, Patty, we did not leave you on hold for forty five minutes this time, Patty. So I, I'm considering that a win. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, listen, I don't mind waiting. We appreciate um, you. What's so up? I, I got a question about two sleeper wide receiver. Guys, but just getting into this whole conversation about Patriots Hall of Fame, I got to say that Parcells, for me, yeah, he changed the culture, he made them relevant. But I made this argument on PU a couple weeks ago. The fans, knowing that in '93, that might be the last season of the Patriots, them bringing in Parcells and Bledsoe, they didn't sell out until 
94 when Kraft bought the team. And, yeah, I mean, I look at the record, and by Bill Parcells' own admission, you are what your record says you are. He was a 34-34 and 34 coach, playoffs included. As, as I love using his own coach. words against him, Patty. Good job. Um, but, yeah, like, and to me, I, I loved Parcells when he was here. I hated what he did shooting his way out of town. I still got love for the guy. But to me, the whole longevity thing, and you guys are going to probably eviscerate me for this, too. Randy Moss, too. I'm sorry. He's not a Patriots Hall of Famer. I don't care that he put up 23 touchdowns in 07. I don't care if that was the greatest offense. He, he played for three years and four games for this team. I mean, if he would have played a couple more years, I would say, yeah, definitely. That's a fair uh, absolutely. Point. Hall of Fame. Greatest receiver ever, talent-wise. Uh, so the two receivers I, I wanted to see if you guys watched any film on were Tyler Scott in Cincinnati and Ronnie Bell from Michigan. Bell, to me, looks like he might be like the sleeper wide receiver of this draft because we all know like Michigan likes to run the ball, and he didn't get much you know, much pub there. What do you guys think? Yeah, those are two good names. Uh, and thanks for the call, Patty, as always. Those are two good names in that, like, next tier yeah. that we, we've talked, hammered so much about JSN and Zay and Addison and Quentin Johnston and those guys. Tyler Scott and, and uh, Ronnie Bell are in that next wave. Now, Tyler Scott. Uh, wor- you have some thoughts on Tyler Scott. Tyler Scott worries me a lot for the Patriots. And this is one of the big takes that I always have uh, with the draft. It, for different reasons from Quentin Johnson, but it's in the same category of I think Quentin Johnson is going to be a good NFL pro. I just don't think he would be a good NFL pro here. With Tyler Scott, what I saw with Tyler Scott at Cincinnati is that he was basically just an athlete on the field, right? He was just a better athlete than the guys that he was going up against, and he was essentially able to out-athlete corners and just run by them or run away from them or whatever the case may be. I don't know from a technical standpoint. He's he's very raw. He's got a very limited route tree. He doesn't really do the things at the top of the route that you'd like to see, the efficiency, the deceptiveness, that type of stuff. So he's going to have to get coached up on all those things because he's going to come to the NFL and he's no longer going to be one of one. He's going to be one of 100. Right. And once he gets to the league, he's going to have to figure out a little bit more how to play the position do you have any confidence based off their track record that the Patriots could take a guy like Tyler Scott and round him out, right? And, and, and fill in the holes uh, so that he's somebody that is as good as his athletic ability ha- makes his potential. He has a sky high potential in the league, but he's going to have to land with a good receivers coach that knows how to coach him up. And he's going to have, you're going to have to be patient with him too. I don't think that this is a guy that's going to step in day one and be an impact player for you. And I've said this before, if, if that's the kind of guy you want, you already have him. It's Tyquan Thornton. Right. At that point, put Tyquan Thornton out on the field and see what you can do with him. I'll, I'll touch on Ronnie Bell. I, yeah. I do like Ronnie Bell. So he's projected to go a little later. He's probably a day three pick. Yeah, like a third or fourth rounder. Maybe. Out of Michigan, 6'1", 190. Um, I... I, I I watch him. He looks a little bit like Trey Nixon to me, but I think there's more upside. Yeah. So he tours ACL in 2021, like beginning of 2021 season, came back last year, had a career year, 62 catches, 900 yards. And we know the whole thing about ACLs, right? It's, it's really one year removed. Yeah. So you come back, you have that kind of bridge year, and then you're really back in shape the next year. He didn't play a ton his first three years in college. So we haven't seen him as a regular contributor, fully healthy. He's one of these players to me that he he's good at everything, but he's not great at anything. 
He's just a very well-rounded receiver. Yeah. There's not a ton of holes in his game, but there's not that one trait you look at and you say, he's going to dominate by doing that. I do think he's got his... his if there is one, his, it's his route running. Yeah, it, it, I think he catches the ball pretty well, too. Like, his catch radius and his ability to adjust to throws. He had a really good game against TCU, right? So, that yeah, was so the, they're, they're pretty good. I, I mean, you're not like, oh, my God, this guy, right? Yeah. So... If he's around late on day three, I don't hate the Patriots taking him, but I don't know that I'm still where I've been at since the beginning of the offseason at the wide receiver position. If you're not bringing in a guy who's the clear number one, all you're doing is just benching players you're just that creating don't need a log to be Right. So, yep. like, look, if it's pick 210, whatever, take him. Right. But it, same goes for Tyler Scott. At 46, at, at, at 76, even at, like, 107, 117, 135, they don't outside Marvin Mims is the one guy that I think maybe breaks out from that group. Yeah. Outside of him, you don't need to take another receiver and do the log in. Just if you're going to take a receiver, get a guy who's going to be at the top of the depth chart. That's picking at 14. But if you're going to pick at 14, just trade a receiver at 14, just trade to pick for Cherry Judy at that point. That you're not going to give up that take, even though I'm not going to give up that take. I, I appreciate the who is who is Zay Wilson ideally in three years? Zay Flowers. Or who is Zay? What I say? Wilson. I don't know who that is. Who <laughs> is Zay Flowers ideally in three years? That's fair. Jerry Judy. Yeah. And if you're going to say, oh, well, he'll be younger. Jerry Judy's only like 16 months older than Zay Flowers, even though he's been in the league for three years. And if you're yeah. going to bring up the contract, you still have one more year of the rookie deal and the fifth year option right. on Jerry Judy. He doesn't actually get expensive until 2025. Three years from now, that's yeah. forever in the NFL. That. A player being expensive in 2025 should not bother you in it, 2023. And it also just, the Patriots are not one of those teams that can say, well, we could have Jerry Judy, but we could also have Zay Flowers in the draft who might be just as good because they don't have the luck in the draft at the position. So it's it's just a risky. Evan, you can have the boat. Or you can have the mystery box. The go. mystery box could be anything. It could even be a boat. This is the perfect. That that's just that's our draft coverage. It's in such a, a catch-all. All right, uh, Jeff, Alex is in Needham. Okay, my hometown. What's well, that's up, why Jeff? I'm excited. Oh wow! Great day, guys. Love the show. Uh, Thank you. Rocket power. One thing. One thing about a uh, Patriots draft season is we spend all this time looking at these prospects only to have them draft a guy we never heard of from Chattanooga or someone we thought wasn't a fit like uh, Tyquan Thornton. So in that vein, one guy who's getting uh, who's not getting a lot of attention but is right in our first round range, Alton Kincaid. You know, offensive weapon, not really a blocker, but I wonder if you guys think he might be a surprise pick there at one. And then second part, um, I want to put our money where our mouth is on Charlie Jones. Where are we? Who are we drafting him ahead of? Right, I think after the first year and like Josh Downs, which guys are you taking Charlie Jones ahead of? Like Marvin Mims, Rashi Rice. Thanks, and I'll uh, I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, cool. Jeff. And I, I said Rocket Power because it's the Needham Rockets. Uh, okay. okay. I was forgetting if you're from Needham or Natick. What? Do you See? actually? Yeah, kind of. It's end towns. And then I, we had a caller earlier on PU that was from Wellesley, so I had to say screw Wellesley, of course. Okay. And I don't think anybody sure. got it, but that's all right. Anyways. Uh, Charlie Jones, we're going to get to in a second. We're going to we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, the qu- first question he asked, uh, what was the first question he asked? I got lost in the news. Uh, so. Dalton Kincaid. Dal- Dalton Kincaid. Are the people ready for me to talk about Dalton Kincaid, Alex? Because I don't know if they are. 
I either of us, frankly, because I think we have similar-ish takes on this. My your, your my might be, yours might be a little stronger than mine, but I'm sure. So I'm not really seeing what all the fuss is about with Dalton Kincaid. I'm not going to lie to you. Now, I would have preferred the and, Utes were Pac-12 champions, Evan, and I will fully admit that because I do not have some of the analytic technology, the tracking data that NFL teams do that I am reliant on athletic testing to figure out how good of an athlete people actually are right the 40 the combine even pro days like just give me some sort of tangible number where I can say that guy looks like a 4-4 guy and he is a 4-4 guy right that's the evidence that I need so I don't have that with Dalton Kincaid because of his injuries so maybe he is faster maybe he is more agile than I think he is but what I really would implore people to do there, I know there's a cut up on YouTube of Dalton Kincaid against USC, which was his big game last year. 16 catches, over 200 yards. I think he had a touchdown in that game as well. Go watch the film of Dalton Kincaid against USC and just look at the coverage that USC runs in that game. Look at the resistance that he truly has and ask yourself, does that look like an NFL does that look like it's a translatable game to the NFL, right? Because what I see with Dalton Kincaid at US at uh, against USC is a lot of soft zone, not a lot of resistance at the line of scrimmage, and he's just sitting down in his zone or he's running through his zone and he's making catches. And then after the catch, he's got some wiggle and he's got some juice. I agree with that. He's he's very slippery after the catch, but before the catch, I just don't necessarily see an explosive dynamic athlete. I think he's a heady route runner. I think he knows where he's going. I think he's really good at finding soft spots in zone. I think he can get up on people and then make some cuts at the top of the route. But for my money, I think Sam Laporte is a more dynamic athlete. I think he moves on the field faster than yeah. Dalton Kincaid. And then Sam Laporta went to the combine and put up a ridiculous combine. So now I have that evidence to back it up, which unfortunately I don't have with Kincaid. I think Kincaid will be a solid pro. I don't think that I don't see special when I watch Dalton Kincaid on film. And maybe I'll be wrong about this, but the guy that he really reminds me of, and I'm not going to compare him to this because on my big board, because I don't want to be this mean. Okay. But I remember Bryson Hopkins from a few years ago yeah, from vaguely. Purdue. Yeah. That was a guy that if you cut up his film and his catches uh, his last year going into the draft, he showed some of that Travis Kelsey, right? He's got that quick route running ability for a tight end. He can get open. He can run with the football. It it really, the athleticism didn't translate for him. I don't think Dalton Kincaid is quite there, but I've seen people that have had Dalton Kincaid as over mayor and people that have had Dalton Kincaid as a first round prospect. I, I just I don't think that he's as physically gifted as I would want him to be because the last piece of this whole rant, he doesn't block. So you're really drafting him as a receiver. It's the Mike Kosicki, right? You're yeah. drafting him to play receiver. You're not drafting him to be a two-way tight end. I'm not saying that I hate him. I'm not saying that he's the worst prospect ever. I'm just saying I don't think that he's this special athlete out on the field, and that USC game is not necessarily as much evidence of, look at how great this guy can be. And that was 25% of his production last year was from one game. Yeah. Not to mention that 
a lot of tight ends went off against USC. Right. They had trouble with tight ends. He also had monster numbers against Southern Utah and FCS team. Yeah. How about Adam Troutman as like a comp? Yeah, I think he's you know Troutman was bigger, right? You is know, he that much bigger? I think so. He's Maybe like I could six five two fifty. Kincaid's like it's six not four a bad two forty. I I just don't I don't see it. Like I think a lot of people compare him uh, to Kelsey, which is obviously lofty for any. It's time very in. lofty. So I wouldn't. There is go there is a Travis Kelsey in this draft, but he's uh, Travis Kelsey company. He's going later. Okay. I think that honestly, my Dalton Kincaid takes kind of the same as my Michael Mayer take, as at least as it relates to the Patriots. Even if you think Dalton Kincaid's going to be a good pro, yeah, he's he's an upside guy. He's right. not a high floor guy. Dalton Kincaid in three years will probably be a better player than Hunter Henry in three years, but they need to focus on 2023. Yeah. And 2023 Dalton Kincaid is going to be about the same player as Hunter Henry and Mike Gesicki. So again, you're creating that log jam. It's like my, my take with the wide receivers last week, Evan, the first round pick needs to be a guy who's going to play 80% of the time. Yeah. For Dalton Kincaid to do that, you're putting a very highly paid player on the bench, which this team cannot afford to do. Yeah. And you're going to end up with the same production either way. So to me, that's kind of a waste of a pick for them. If you want that athletic receiving tight end, look, there's something to be said for... I know where you're going with this. There's something to be said for... Obviously, you know where I'm going with this. Hunter yeah. Henry. Right. Everybody knows where I'm going with this. Hunter Henry's in a contract here. Mike Kosicki's in a contract here. They need a receiving tight end on the roster behind those guys that can yeah. take over next year. It makes so much more sense yes. to take a guy on day three, redshirt him behind those two, yeah. let him develop his game, maybe a lower floor, high ceiling guy, and then have him slide in next year. So whether that is Zach Koontz, Zach Koontz, Koontz. or it could be Cameron Latu from Alabama. He doesn't quite have the athleticism. Right, but he's an upside yeah. tight end. Davis Allen from Clemson is a guy I think because we don't take far Clemson down the guys. Hole here. Can I oh. can I name a rabbit? Luke Schoonmaker is is that no like, a, a jackrabbit? He's still top one hundred. I'm saying like out of the top one hundred. You're saying I, Tucker Craft. I think sure, Tucker Craft would Tucker be Kraft. like at the at you know with with seventy six though. Like you're fine. taking him in the third round. Fine, but the point is, if you take a tight end in the first round, that guy has to play. And yeah. now you're either benching him or you're benching Hunter Henry to probably end up with the same production. Yeah. One way or the other, there's really no point in that. Take a guy later, let him redshirt, let him develop. Basically what you did with Josh Uche in 2020. Yeah. The one tight end they can justify to me in the top 100. You said you, you'll count Tucker Craft. It's such a deep class, Evan. I'm fine waiting beyond Tucker Craft. You're going to say Darnell Washington. Is Darnell Washington because... It. There are, predictable. There are up because it makes sense. I'm just there are it. upgrades and there are additions. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, and I don't think this, but maybe Dalton Kincaid is an upgrade. They don't need upgrades. They need additions. Yeah. It's not can you do what you do better? They need to add to what they already do. Dalton Kincaid, maybe if it all works out, which it's done so much for them in the draft <laughs> in the last couple of years, is it makes you a little yeah. bit better at tight end. Darnell I, if, Washington adds an element to the offense sure. they don't have. And specifically, Evan, okay. I, I was watching some cut-ups yesterday because I have to go back and rewatch Darnell Washington every two weeks yeah. because I try to write about him and I try to remember the last time I watched him and I'm like, man, that can't be real. And then I have to go back and watch it and remind myself it is real. They ran this play. They probably ran it two or three times a game at Georgia where Darnell Washington would be in line on the right side of the formation running back in the backfield, and they'd stack three receivers to the left. They'd bootleg out 
to the right side, just throw the ball to Darnell Washington in the flat, and he'd run over like two corners and pick up the first down. Yeah. In the, in Bill O'Brien's offense, calls that a submarine route. All right, I call it successful. It, I call it a submarine route. It, whatever you want to call it. I've also heard it called a slide route, but in, I like submarine because it sounds cool. In this offense, with how well they project her on the ball, yeah, give me that. Give me that. Sub, so submarine because you go under the line, right? Like you're going in. The no, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just describing. Also, because the, the quarterback normally kind of throws that ball sidearm, which is like in baseball, I that's a like sidearm it. pitcher. I don't know. Someone told or me a that submarine pitcher last year, and I was like, "That's a cool name." Darnell Washington's the only tight end I want in the top 100. Okay, that's fair. I, I if I you want to say Tucker Craft, fine. Love I get Kraft, it, but, but I just think that in like the you know if he goes in the third round or even if he gets pushed into like early day three, just because of how deep the class is, that maybe you just have some more athletic upside yeah. than somebody like a Cam Law too or something like sure. that. And for for what it's worth, I could see them taking Tucker Craft 100. percent I'm not saying they, they won't. Like it's him. 76. It makes a ton of sense. But yeah. again, if you're just going to draft a tight end off athletic. Physical upside, and you're fine going with the that. small school. But you have to admit, there's a clear answer. The 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 two things that give me pause with Darnell Washington. Number one, he has 45 career catches at Georgia, and I understand that he had Brock Bowers, and there was other people in that offense yeah. and things like that. But the receiving game for him is projection. You are projecting that he is going to develop into a player that can be a high volume. But isn't player. it the same with Kincaid? No, I'm not necessarily. Is he it's also, the same with everybody? But do I'm you just need saying, him like, to be a high volume player to be a successful pick? Well, that that's true. I don't think so. The other thing that I would say about Washington is that he is a a builder of speed. He's not a speed guy, right? And so he right. tested really well in the forty, but he's not somebody. He it takes a little while to get that train rolling. But I right? okay, so he's not going to test the seam as much as. I think that maybe some people think just because it it does he's not going to get on the second level and like that it's going to take him some time to build that so speed up. I think people look at him as this like big downfield threat. Yeah, that's not what you're drafting him for. That's misuse if that's right. how what you're drafting him to do. You're not drafting him to run routes. To me, there are two phases of the game as a receiver where he's going to be impactful: off play action, yes, the short part of the field, and obviously in the in red, red zone, zone in the red zone stuff. Yeah. You have receivers who contest the seam. You have, uh, you you have Hunter Henry. You have Mike. Zick. I don't need him being Hunter Henry. That's why I love the pick. Yeah, it, it and does then, add another skill. And set. then you I also agree. have what he adds in the running game. Yeah. So, to the concern about the receiving, I don't need him to go out there and be a ballerina running routes. I really don't. Yeah. And as for the speed thing, he does. Yeah, he's not going to run away from anybody. But you, you better get to him quick on defense because it doesn't matter how fast he's moving. The first guy that gets to him, especially if it's a corner ta- or a uh, corner safety, they're not tackling him. Yeah, they're just so, simply not tackling him. So that's why. So I he's going to drag guys after the catch. His ceiling, to me, say it as a player. Say it. I don't know. I don't know if you know what I'm going to say. I know exactly what you're going to say. His ceiling, to me, as a player, is washed Rob Gronkowski. I think it's a little higher than that. I think it's 18. No. Bucks Rob Gronkowski. No. That's where I'm at. Late, not 18. Late career, Rob. He he was. I just called him Rob. He didn't calls him do Rob. anything as a receiver late, that year. Late late career Gronk. That's who I think he is. I I think he's a little better than that. He's not prime Gronk. And I knew you were going to say Gronk in some regard. Gronk that year, twenty eighteen. Look that year, washed Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, caught forty seven passes for six hundred eighty two yards. Boom. 
That's that, the ceiling. That would be their best tight end season since then. Washed Rob Gronkowski is his ceiling. That's still a pretty good player. I would take that. I think he's a little better than that. Gronk only caught three touchdowns that year because they ran the ball every time on the goal line. I think he's yeah, and he blocked the crap out of people. Right, but I think he can catch the ball too. He's a red zone threat. He can. Here's one thing. There's he a can touchdown do. run against the Chargers. I think it is from the I playoffs. I know exactly which player talking where about. he combos Gronk does go just. Anyway, here's the trade everybody Amazing. sleeps on with Darno Washington. All the yeah. Darno Washington fans yeah, want to yeah, tell yeah. you, well, he's faster than people think. He's a better route runner than people he's think. Not. He's not. No. The one trade everybody sleeps on, his body control yes. and his ability to high point the ball, go up one-handed catches Probably away from his, his body. Best trade as a receiver. Which, again, who else was that his best trade as a receiver? I know. That's why I said washed Gronk. He's not. Or, or, but when you, you use, call, when you say washed, people see that in a negative connotation. Just say late career Rob Gronkowski. Okay, late career Rob Gronkowski, discount Gronk, I think is another that, way to But that is it. a negative. You keep putting these negative connotations <laughs> it is, on it. Because I'm not going to sit here and say the guy's going to be the next late Rob career, Gronkowski. Late career doesn't have a negative connotation, but it implies that it's not Gronk are, when he was at his peak. This is, this is peak us. Just semantics argument. Darno Washington's... Oh, okay. How about this one? This is actually a very interesting one in the on chat. I got Washington. one more comp for you. Yeah. Ben Coates. No, he's... No. Ben Coates is a much better player. Speaking We're, of should-be Hall of Famers. He's in the Patriots Hall of Fame. Ben like, Coates Hall is... Fame, way, that, let's not put that, that, that juju in the air that he's got to be as good as Ben Coates. Ben Coates is a hell of a player. The only tight end I want in the top 100. And I think he makes a massive difference on this offense if I think they get that him that, right away. That, to sum all of this up, because yeah. uh, the Patriots, I want to talk about top 30 visits latest uh, that we didn't talk about or has come out in the last week since we've been on air. Uh, Dalton Kincaid is one of them. He was here yeah. for a top 30 visit or is coming for a top 30 visit. The, I think that that's a really good way of what I was trying to say is that you, if you're taking a player in the first round where I think you probably will need to take Dalton Kincaid or let's call it the top 40 yeah. of the draft. You're going to need to take him in the first round. You need that player to be so damn good that all of us get out there in July on the first day of training camp and say, we can't take this player off the field. Right, just whoa. Well, he's way too good. Like He's already right. the best player in the room. I, I don't think that Dalton Kincaid is that good. And I guess that's where I'm at. The one other thing I'll say, and I, yeah. I know you want to move on, I do. The the thing we do in the NFL draft, I think, a lot is we look at these players and and we get really into these players and we think, man, like they got to get this guy. When ninety nine percent of players, this isn't to take anything away from any players. Every player's worked really hard to get to this point, uh, and and they're all obviously incredibly talented. But there's only so many skills. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that you can go get again next year. If you miss out on Dalton Kincaid, you really feel like you need that guy. Yeah. If, if somebody feels that way, like, oh, I'm just not going to be able to handle it if they don't take Don Kincaid, go look up Cade Stover from Ohio State. I know Brock Bowers is the big name. They're not going to get him. He's going to be a top five pick. Right. Go look up Cade Stover from Ohio State. You'll feel a lot better. How, now, the next next year in the draft, we have Marvin Harrison Jr. and right. you have Brock Bowers. Yeah. When's the last time that two skill position guys But we're losing our mind if they, oh my God, if they don't get Zay Flowers, who would be like a second round pick next year. Yeah. Now, there are. He might be a second round pick this year if you listen to certain people. True. There are a handful of players in every draft, and we're beyond Darnell Washington now. This is draft like philosophy, but we're using right. Washington as an example. Yeah. There are a handful of players in every draft. Yes. That are unicorns. If you, that ain't Dalton Kincaid. That's not. Last year, right? It was yeah. Tariq Wollen. Right. It was Jordan Davis. Yeah. You, if you miss on Jordan Davis, you're not getting Jordan Davis again next year. Right. Right. Darnell Washington, to me, is a unicorn in this draft. You're not okay. getting—you can go get Dalton Kincaid next year. I even think you can go get Michael Mayer next year. 
Tucker Craft, Luke Musgrave, Sam Laporta, maybe even Zach Koontz. Don't, Those don't guys are going to Sam Laporta like that. Is Evan? You're going to tell okay, me Sam? We're moving on. Darnell Washington, we're, we're Dewan Jones is a unicorn. Give me a unicorn first. Give me a unicorn in this draft. In this draft? Yeah. Ugh. Besides those two. Is there one on defense? Anthony Richardson. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good unicorn. one. Unicorn. Yeah. Unicorn. Risky unicorn, but unicorn. Unicorn. You're not getting Anthony Richardson next year. Yeah. All right. So we we talked about Dalton Kincaid. That's another top 30 visit that we wanted to discuss. I'm really curious to get your, your take on this, Alex. Uh, their interest in edge rushers is yeah. fascinating to me. So we talked last week about Nolan Smith. He was in for a visit. This week we find out that Tyree Wilson and Lucas Van Ness both in for visits. And they met with both at the Combine, I believe, as well. I know they met with yeah. Van Ness. I'm and trying to remember Wilson. I don't know, I don't know where they met with Miles Murphy, but they, Miles Murphy has, is in this conversation, too, and was they've had some well, they, they were at his pro day. Yeah, they were at yeah. his pro day, and I think they had a private meeting with him at his okay. pro day. So, they're, so like they did with JSN. Right, and so they're in, on, they're in on this edge class, clearly. And there's a lot to like. I think that that's one thing that I'm coming away a little bit optimistic about this draft approach is that they are – doing their due diligence on the good positions in this draft edge yeah. corner tight end right they're doing their homework on those guys which tells me at some point in time they're drafting somebody from that group right right whatever it is but i'm really curious to get your take on on their interest in these first round edge rusher guys now maybe i don't think this is smokescreen i hate that conversation i don't know right. if it's smokescreen i can or i don't think it's smokescreen could it be, oh, we, you know, maybe the Jets will take one at 13 or, you know, whatever. We need to know the guy. Like, maybe. But I, I really think that they're stacking their board at that position. I really do. And I don't know if they'll take one at 14. Uh, but you, you said this is like draft philosophy. I think yeah. one, another draft philosophy is that you don't draft for 2023. You're really drafting for 2024, right? right. And clearly that's going to be a position in 2024 where you're not going to have uh, Josh Uche under contract anymore. Matthew Judon's going to be the last year of his deal at right. 32 years old. Uh, for well, Anthony Jennings, will Anthony be Jennings and Ronnie uh, Ronnie Perkins, who knows? And Anthony Jennings is also in the same contract right. year that Josh Uche yeah. is. So they have a future need at edge, and I think my take on this might surprise some people because I've been so in on receivers and things like that. But I actually believe that it would be a shrewd pick to take one of these edge rushers and look into the future because you are getting a better player. Like you're just getting a higher rated player in a Van Ness or a Nolan Smith or a Tyree Wilson than what Zay Flowers is today or what Jordan Addison is today. Okay, but what if it's over a tackle? That, I guess, is maybe a little bit different. I just – I personally wouldn't knock them for taking the edge rusher because, A, I don't think you could – you need pass rush in this league. Yeah. That, that's, that's very key. And some of these guys now, Nolan Smith, I think, is got to play the Josh UJ role. I don't right. think Nolan Smith can kick inside or do it because he's only 240 pounds. But a guy like Tyree Wilson or a guy like Lucas Van Ness has some flexibility that in 2023, you could have Judon Barmore. Tyree Wilson and Josh Uche coming after quarterbacks like that's a freaking yeah. monster right so and Dietrich Wise I think can can throw in there as well but Wilson let's start with him the reason why Wilson's in this conversation because on film he's a top 10 player of the draft yeah but he is not bendy he's not super explosive off the ball he doesn't have that that Von Miller skill set of first step quickness 
and bend to turn the corner. He is a brute force power player. He is right. somebody that it looks like a man amongst boys at Texas Tech and is just pushing people around all the time. That skill set sometimes doesn't always translate 100% to the league because everybody's strong in the NFL. So you're not just going to ragdoll everybody all the time like he did at Texas Tech, but he has dominant, dominant, dominant film. And I think that he's one of those guys, again, that can be a 3-4 end because of his power and length, or he can stand up and play as an outside linebacker in their system too. So there's flexibility there to get him on the field. It would clearly be one of those situations where not only are they looking ahead to the need in 2024, but he's also the best player available on their board. So how would you feel just in general about the edges and and about the guys they've met with? I wouldn't love it because, again, I I think – you need to focus on 2023. Yeah. And to me, it's, again, it, if one of those tackles is there, I think you got to take a tackle. I agree with you. I'd probably still go edge over receiver um, corner. I'd, so so to me, it would be like, give me a tackle, then give me a corner, then give me an edge, then give me a receiver. Right. But I also think there's some guys later on in this draft in the second round, Uzoma, Adebare, uh, Ojolari in the third round, Zach Harrison, Byron Young, that make a lot of sense for them. Yeah. That especially guy Byron like, Young makes all the sense in the world because he's like 29 25, yeah. team captain, highly productive right. in the SEC. Yeah. Can play right away, like high floor. Like that's the guy. If they're going to, if they want to do edge, Byron Young at 76, print it. Yeah. Like that's the pick. I have a couple of theories on why they're meeting with these guys. One, from our standpoint, the media standpoint, and I don't know how teams have it on their boards, Tyree Wilson, Lucas Van Ness are both overrated. I don't think either one goes as high as we're projecting them to. Wilson has his limitations, like you said, with his athleticism. Yeah. And Van Ness is a third down player. He's a one-down player. So Van Ness reminds me so much of George Karloftis, who the media loved last year. I think Karloftis is much stronger, but yeah. The media loved Karloftis last year, and then the Chiefs got him in the end of the first round, Yeah, like 28, 29, right Right, before the Patriots. because they took Trent McDuffie with the Patriots pick, and then I think they got him right before then. So uh, Van Ness is very powerful. I mean, his his nickname's Hercules. He lives up to it. Uh, He's strong as hell, speed to power. Uh, He's got... I would say a very, very high motor. Like, he, he right. plays hot. Now, with all that being said, he played 400 snaps a season yeah. at Iowa in back-to-back years. They didn't start him in a single right. game. So, at 14, I don't see 14 because no. that because you're, that player, he's raw. He's got a, a freakish motor and freakish play strength, and he's got speed to power and all those types of things. But – he doesn't find the ball well against the run. He's got to work on his instincts and his block shedding against the run. And he really doesn't have another move besides the bull rush. Like, yeah. and, and he'll develop one. Like, over time, like, they'll get him. But they, to, don't, they don't have that time. To have a secondary move. But he doesn't have one right now. So, I, I think they're just doing their due diligence on those guys who are going to fall to 14. Murphy, I think, is more realistic. He's their kind of player. I don't like Murphy. No? He... Not at 14. Okay, that's I, I don't either. The one guy I like for them at 14, and I've said this, if, if they're there and uh, Christian Gonzalez is gone, Devin Witherspoon's gone, Paris Johnson's gone, Broderick Jones is gone, right, and they can't trade the pick, Yeah, you're not going to hang your head walking away with Nolan Smith. Maybe that's yeah. not the player you wanted ultimately, but he's the break glass in case of emergency. We got the worst possible board uh, pick. Yeah. I do think there is also, though, an element of, Tyree Wilson went to Texas Tech. 
Anton Harrison is a top tackle in this draft, went to Oklahoma. That's the Big 12. Lucas Van Ness played against Paris Johnson. And Skaronsky. And Skaronsky. And bullied them, by the way. Nolan Smith played against Broderick Jones. Yeah. Darnell Wright. They might be doing a little opposition research here. They could be. They might be bringing these guys in. to. So it's not smokescreen, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're talking to these guys, say, hey, what was it like facing him? Yeah, what was who was the toughest tackle you faced? Right. That's always a combined question. And, and you hear guy, you hear guys say this: nobody's going to scout players better than the guys who are on the other side of the ball. Yeah, that's a really great theory so, that I hadn't thought of. You know, it kind of lines up, and like you said, we don't necessarily have an official meeting on the books with with Miles Murphy. Yeah, what's the conference that doesn't have any of the top tackles? The ACC. Yeah, Clemson. Yeah, Miles Murphy. I think what worries about me uh, worries me about him is that he he doesn't ever dominate like he's never I I, there's not a lot of film out there of him just like taking over a game or him uh just having ridiculous tape It, it just seems like he just is fine at everything but he's not dominant or great at one individual thing I am very concerned for the team that drafts Miles Murphy that he's Clellan Farrell 2.0 very, very concerned about that. Now, I don't think that he will be draft. The Raiders drafted Clellan Farrell way too high. So yeah. if there, if you get Miles Murphy at the end of the first round or in the twenties, and he ends up being Clellan Farrell, like then okay, fine, you got a, a fine player uh, at the end of the first round. Uh, but in fourteen, I want to see a player that's a, a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more of a game changer, especially if they're going to draft at at a lower position of need. Right? It's not right. like it's an immediate need. Tyler Steen was the last. Uh, top 30 which is probably the the worst kept secret of the Patriots draft is they might actually take somebody from Alabama uh, right this cycle especially the Alabama offense so Alabama's left tackle just last year transferred in from Vanderbilt really savvy sound player on film I think he's a perfect like third or fourth round pick for the Patriots I wouldn't necessarily take him higher than that I wouldn't necessarily put all of my eggs in the Tyler Steen basket either maybe it's a double dip or it's a hedge of somebody else but he's just a solid uh sound sturdy base type of player that isn't gonna get totally burned out there those guys are nice to have on the offense you worried about the arm length though I, I worry about it a little bit because I think certain guys like Felix, for example, from Kansas State, Osama, he was able to get into him a little bit. That's the biggest thing with arm length that I think you have to look at is, in, and we'll talk about a guy with arm length here in a second, the do they does the arm length prevent them from getting first initial contact and does it affect them with the bull rushers too, the power guys because the power guys are trying to get inside hands and if you have shorter arms and you can't establish that first contact you're giving up your chest a lot and how do you recover when you're not the one that's getting hands on first i think steen has decent anchor and recovery ability but felix was one guy that did give him some trouble there in the uh, sugar bowl he was able to push him back a few times so a little bit concerned but I think with Steen if you're drafting him in the third or the fourth round whether he plays guard or tackle for you he's basically a guy that can play four different positions well that's the thing too I think best case scenario you have here he's probably a right tackle in the NFL right I I think best case scenario you have your right tackle worst case scenario you have a right guard Michael Owen who's on an expiring contract or you have a top swing player that can play four different spots and you know he ends up right. being one of those uh, high-end backup type of player right which in the third round is fine now yeah. i i assume you're hinting at peter skaronsky there i was if he ends up being a guard and if he ends up being guard he's gonna be a left guard 
Now you've taken left guards in the first round in back-to-back years. Yeah. That's not great. Third round's a little different. All right, we're going to do that in a second. Let's get to Tyler and Maryland, and then we'll transition here. What's up, Tyler? Right. What's going on, guys? Hey. Um, I just had a quick question for this silly season. Um, Would you rather trade for Jared Judy or trade for Devin? Devin White, if you had the choice, um, I would go with Devin White just because you could help him play. Um, All right, he's breaking up yeah, there, but Jerry Judy. Uneducated. Thanks for the call, Tyler. Your phone was breaking up there, but we got the general. Yeah, uh, Devin White. We were, we're taking Devin White over Jerry Judy. I'm not. No, I don't know. No, Devin White is a really overrated player. Wow, it's, he's a, it's, do I want a linebacker or receiver? Really, I really want a receiver. Forget player. that. Do you want a linebacker or receiver? We, I want a receiver. That one, Devin White bothered. Devin White is one of those guys that, and I'm not picking on Tyler. I'm yeah. just saying Devin White is one of those guys that has a great highlight reel but doesn't have great film. Okay. He, he's got some really flashy plays. Don't get me wrong. But in terms of consistency and when you actually watch this, the tape on him, there are teams that attack Devin White. Yeah, especially in the misdirection in the passing game, like play action and boot and stuff like that, because he just he plays with his hair on fire and he just wants to see ball get ball. And if you can manipulate his eyes, he's just out of. The I way. just think you're making it more complicated than it needs to be. Give me the wide receiver before we yeah. get to tackles. Can I do one more top thirty meeting they had? I meant to yes. bring this up with the pass catcher. Yeah, Michael Wilson. Oh my God, no! I didn't. I purposely didn't want to bring this up. Why? Because it's just everybody ridiculous. thinks he's like the greatest thing ever. Now. It's so it's it's dumb. We know it's dumb. Season-ending foot injury in 2020, cost him part of the 2021. Yeah. Undisclosed injury last year, which scares me. That you don't know. And normally they come out. Zach Coots had an undisclosed injury. Right. It's no longer undisclosed. He dislocated his kneecap. He's been cleared. Yeah. He does have some physical talent. Right. He didn't test well at the combine, but I think he does have some physical talent. If they're going to take him with one of those fourth-round picks after already adding a pass catcher in the first round. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, fine. It's a good if flyer. He's, if he's the double dip, it's If fine. he's the second half of the double dip, you take a flyer and I'm yeah. fine. If they're going to take him at like 46 or 76 and he's supposed to be the guy that fixes the offense, they already did that. His name was Malcolm Mitchell. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Like, you can't he's, count on that guy to be here. He's not as explosive in a straight line as Malcolm Mitchell was, but his background is Malcolm Mitchell. Right. And everybody goes, well, they found Malcolm Mitchell in the fourth round. He just got hurt. If they can find that guy again, no. That's not what they did. Malcolm Mitchell was a first-round talent. Right. Everybody knew he was a first-round talent. Yes. But nobody took him in the first round because they knew he wasn't going to have a long career. He got to the fourth, and the Patriots said, at this point, whatever. Right. Right? That's what... You're not finding Malcolm Mitchell but healthy. Because yeah. that guy... That doesn't make sense. Well, he'd That's be not, a first-round pick. Right. Exactly. Malcolm yeah. Mitchell but healthy is a first-round pick. So, I, everybody thinks that, that Michael Wilson is this, like, magic... Basically, what I thought Kayshawn Boutte was at the beginning right. of the process before I was proven very wrong. Yeah. No, he's not like, oh, he's a first-round talent, but he's there in the fourth round. Well, yeah, because he gets hurt all the time. Yeah, he's he's quicker than he is fast. I'll give him that, right? Yeah. Like, in terms of uh, being able to separate the line of scrimmage, I don't think it necessarily translates at the top of the route as much as it translates at the line of scrimmage. He's very good at beating press coverage. Yeah. And he showed that at the Senior Bowl especially. Really shifty, understands angles, how to attack leverage, like all that type of stuff. And he's got a decent vertical element to his game to win at the catch point down the field. But he's somebody that, it, like for all the reasons that you said, I 100% agree. Very scary injury history, one. And two, he cannot be your 
your receiver pick. Like he's got to be the, the the double dip. He's got to right. be the second half of it, and he's got to be a flyer on, on a high upside injury prone player. Let's get into the the next part here. We wanted to do a my guys segment. This is the guys that we will go in and pound the table for in the Patriots draft room. No, just kidding. They don't invite us into the Patriots draft room, unfortunately, but we're going to pound the table for a couple of guys. Yeah. We don't want to pound. I, I don't know how you necessarily, I, I thought we were like trying to avoid like top 50 guys. Okay, right? good. I'm glad we were on the okay. same page here. Uh, we tried to avoid top 50 top, you know, I'm not going to pound the table for Zay Flowers again. I've, right. I've already done it enough. I, I did Darno Washington. I did that bit today. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've done all those players. Although I did actually mention one of these guys already. But. There is one guy that I, I want to pound the table for that is a first-round pick, but uh, I'll get to him last. So okay. I, I'll, I'll just give my takes on, on my first two guys and, and then the last one, and then you can do your list. Yeah. Charlie Jones. Good player. Pounding the table for Charlie Jones. I, we are at the point where Evan Lazar is pounding the table for Charlie Jones. This is a wonderful thing. I am pounding the table for Charlie Jones. I think that everybody – we do this with one player every draft where the media, the league, everyone always overthinks – when I say one player, I want to specifically say receivers. Yeah. There's always one receiver – that falls and not because of the Michael Wilson reasons, but like a clean prospect yeah. that falls to like the third or fourth round, Terry McLaurin, Cooper cup. Like there's always one of those guys. And I believe that Charlie Jones from Purdue is that guy in this draft. Excellent production last year at Purdue. Excellent combine. One of the most efficient and technically sound route runners in the, in the draft an underrated catch point guy, like an underrated contested catch guy. I would say that's not really what I want him doing to make a living, but I think that he's got strong hands and that ability to catch balls in traffic, kind of like Jacoby Myers did. When I watch him play, I look at a guy that is Jacoby Myers, but with like a four, four, three. Right. And, and why would anybody, you know, put their nose up to that? Right. Like, I, I don't understand why that would ever be a bad thing in anyone's right. eyes. If there's a guy in this draft that has a chance to be, the the Cooper Cup yeah. of this group, it's Charlie Jones. So let me ask you this: You said you think Charlie Jones was slept on? Yes. I because I I went back and found this. I texted you um, a scouting report on Charlie Jones back in December, January during the Big uh -huh. Ten Championship. Yep. I think he's rewritten the book on him in this pre-draft process. So I'm going to give combine you combine change things. I'm going to give you some notes from Charlie Jones. This is Charlie Jones back in December. Okay. Um, Iowa transfer. Savvy and smart playmaker, Charlie Jones' understanding of pre-snap leverage allows him to move defensive backs off their spot, creating easier access to desired route path, quick-footed release to win the leverage battle, good spatial awareness, finding spots in zone coverage. In terms of tracking the football, Jones is confident and extends to maximize his catch radius when necessary. He's been a reliable contested catch target, kick returner, punt returner. The cons were not an explosive or dynamic athlete, Lack of explosiveness limits his ability to win on the perimeter down the field. There'll be I, questions about whether he that. can handle perimeter snaps uh, full-time in the league. That So that's basically it. I, I think he's done a lot to diminish the concern about the explosiveness. Yeah, I think that he's not somebody that is necessarily a burner that's going to win over the top. I do agree with that. He's not a vertical threat. He's not a deep right. threat. But what he does do really, really well, and I just looked it up, his 10-yard split is in the 80th percentile. He comes off the line of scrimmage in the first 10 yards really, really fast. And that allows him to open guys up, which then allows him to make cuts, right? So he's going to be an intermediate possession type of receiver. I think a decent comparison, because I, I don't want to compare him to Cooper Cup because he 
that's Cooper yeah. Cup. I I don't mind Adam Thielen. No, though. I honestly I think the comp back in December was Jacoby Myers. I mean, it was clear as day Jacoby Myers. Yeah. I think Jacoby Myers, but more explosive is explosive Jacoby is the answer. Yeah, faster Jacoby. Yeah. All right. Cool. By the way, you did not like him back in December. Yeah, for the record, that's good. That's why I'm so amused by this. I didn't know he was going to run a four four three. Neither back. did I. Yeah. So there you go. All right. The second one we talked about him briefly, so I won't talk about him too long. Yeah. Sam Laporta. I'm going to pound the table for Sam Laporta till the days of old. I have Alex. I'm going to yeah. cut, we're going to uh, yeah. I'm hoping next week it's going to come out a Patriots draft guide coming out. Usually I do it in spread a spreadsheet, but we got all fancy with it thanks to Webmaster Chris uh for getting all fancy with it and putting it all together for me. So that's more of like a PDF draft draft guide style. I have Sam Laporta ahead of Dalton Kincaid. That's how much I believe in Sam Laporta. Not only does he have the measurements and the athletic ability and all that kind of stuff, when you watch this guy run routes, he is extremely quick at the top of the route, great with the football on his hands, explosive, explosive athlete. I just feel like he is what everybody thinks Dalton Kincaid is, and I, I would take Sam LaPorta over Dalton Kincaid. He's one of my guys in this draft. And then the last one, I, I'm going to continue to vouch for Skaronsky. I understand that he's got short arms. I understand that people are concerned about that. Is it my favorite first-round pick for them? No, but mainly the reason why it's not my favorite first-round pick for them, Alex, is because I don't want to have to answer questions about his arm length for the next six months, right? Like <laughs> oh, it, you're going to have to. It, it's nothing to do with the player. I just right. I just know that everybody's going to call into all of our shows and be like, I drafted the the under, it's Isaiah Win 2.0. And they're all going to think it was their take, there too. They're going to be like, I heard yeah, from he, my buddy his arms are short. He's Thanks. got dinosaur arms, whatever. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily see Skaronsky's arm length on film like tangible right. evidence of it being a major issue for him he's so the way I've kind of explained Peter Skaronsky to people there's only been two tackles in the last 10 years that were drafted in the first round with less than 30 inch arms one of them Justin Pugh yeah became a guard two years later yeah right yet here we are Peter Skaronsky still considered a first round pick even with whatever it is, was it twenty nine a quarter, twenty nine and three no, quarters? No, no, he's got. Uh, you meant I think thirty three is the thirty three. So, so sorry, thirty two, thirty two, yeah, or something like okay, that. Okay, whatever he is, he's less than an inch off. Yeah, but that there's a lot of guys like that's clearly the cutoff. Two guys in ten years. Yeah, we're still sitting here talking about him as a first round pick, as a top twenty pick. Prior to the arm length thing, he was the consensus number one tackle, and there was no discussion. Yeah, right. The top tier right now is Skaronsky, Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones. Before the combine, it was Skaronsky. That was the top tier. Then Paris Johnson and Broderick Jones. Yeah. That all should tell you this guy is so tremendously skilled technically yes. and physically talented that maybe you don't love that his arms aren't 33 inches. But if anybody is going to make it work with 32 and an eighth inch arms, it's this guy. Yeah, so right. I don't think that he's quite as athletic as Rashawn Slater, but Rashawn Slater is the recent success story. Well, he was 33 exactly. So he was 33 So my cutoff was under 33. Matt Light was a little bit over 33, but still. Yeah. Uh, so back in the day, the threshold used to be 34. Right. Then it, it was some guys like Rashawn Slater, Matthew, uh, Matt Light, you know, those types of guys made it like 33. Right. right. So Matt Light is the cop that I have for him right now. It's not perfect because Matt Light's arms were uh, maybe an inch 
longer, right. but like we're literally an inch. Well, it's like, also tough. Talk- this is how much we're talking about. Again, it's this tough. What people are getting crazy because there's about. two guys in the last ten years. One's Justin Pugh, who became a guard, and yeah. the other's Caleb McGarry, who's always been a right tackle. Right. And Skaronski's not. You're drafting Skaronski to play left tackle. Yes. You're not putting him at right tackle. I just think that you mentioned the technically sound. Yeah. Evidence on the film with him. I also think that he's got great, great feet and first step explosiveness off the line is awesome and ability to climb and make blocks on the move is fantastic just the way that he plays the position it just looks like he's been playing offensive line for his whole life he just looks the part he understands where he's supposed to put his hat and his hands and his feet and where the angles are and the leverages and like all of these little intricacies of offensive line play he just does all of it so like a seasoned vet yeah you know, when you watch him play uh you know the guys that you watch in the league that i sometimes i'll go back and and you know watch some film on some of the top guys in the league just to remind myself of what it looks like at the at the top right yeah. you know this is what it's supposed to look like and so many of those great technicians in the league uh, do the same little intricacy type of things as Skaronsky. If they draft Skaronsky in the first round, I'm going to be perfectly fine with it, but I'm going to be annoyed because of what we're going to have to deal with people. Yeah, that's right. that's fair. All right, who are your guys? All right, I know everybody thinks I'm going to talk about uh, Zach Koontz and Bryce Ford Wheaton and and Julius Brents and and Jake Moody. I'm actually going to try to. I, I wanted some guys that yeah we haven't talked about a lot or haven't been talked about a lot and probably should be talked a lot about more, especially in regards to the Patriots. One of them we already kind of discussed, Byron Young, defensive end from Tennessee, was a two-year JUCO player, was the number nine JUCO recruit in the country, went to Tennessee, two-year starter, incredibly productive, team captain. It's a guy that worked, I think, in a supermarket or at a restaurant for like a couple years out of high school. Yeah, he took some time off. right? Right, loves the game, like just wanted to get back to the game. Now here he is, 25, Patriots have had the oldest average draft class since 2017, Big-time player at SEC school. He's probably more of a strong side guy. Yeah, He's more of a guy that's going to hold the edge and push the pocket than, like, get after the passer. I agree with that. Think more Anthony Jennings than Josh Uche, but they need that guy. Yeah. They need that guy. He's going to be there Especially in the third because round. they've been a little bit reluctant to put Judon in that role just because they want Judon to make plays. Right, exactly. So it does he's, free him up a little he's bit. He's the perfect there. guy to play opposite yeah. Judon. Although, there's another Byron Young. Also from the SEC, also in the front seven. Supposed to go in the same range in the drafts. So you got to be from Alabama. Alabama. He's a defensive tackle. Also could be a Patriot. I don't love him as much, but you got to be very rough cl- senior bowl week. You got to be very clear when you hand that draft card. In I like Byron. Who Young. you're drafting? Um, another one, Evan. I have you watched this guy? I have bugged you about this guy for three weeks, and I know who it is. And no, the only <laughs> can you please watch the only reason I can think of that he's not getting talked about in relation to the Patriots is because Bill Belichick in 23 years, has never drafted a player from the University of Pittsburgh. The last Pitt Panther to be drafted by the Patriots. They've had other guys as free agents. The last Pitt Panther to be drafted by the Patriots, you know? Curtis Martin. Curtis Martin? thought it was Curtis Martin. I feel like I saw that That, This is your trivia question. When I was looking it up, you you were like so thrown back by that. I want to make sure I I got it right. Yeah, it was Curtis Martin. Okay, Okay. anyway. Servassier-Dennis. We yeah. talk about, and and we've wanted them to draft that hybrid linebacker safety, three down, yeah. east-west coverage player, and they still haven't done it. But yeah. all of those, he's he's got the, his athleticism's great. Crushed the combine. Played lacrosse. He did play lacrosse <laughs> in high school. He also, that what's that new test that replaced the Wonderlick? It's S2. like the S2. Yeah. He had the highest score of any player in the draft. It's basically, it's like playing Madden. That's you, sick. You would love it. That's I think sick. I should very try high. it. 
He had the, I don't remember if it was of any linebacker or if he tied for any player. I know Bryce Young got a 98. Yeah, he did But Servasi well. um, Dennis, incredibly high scorer on the S2, was a team captain. He can play in the box. He can rush the passer. He can cover tight ends. He can cover running backs. He can cover slot receivers. He can play a little bit of deep safety. He's great against the run. He's incredibly physical. I think the reason he's going later, he's small. Yeah. I think he's like not – Small. He's smaller. Is he like a Landon Roberts, or is he like? He's a Landon Roberts small. He's over six feet. Yeah. Because Roberts was what, like six one? Yeah, two forty. Servasia did six one two thirty. Yeah, I think that's about what Landon was coming in. I don't understand why he's projected to go as low as he is, which is middle of day three, late day three. I don't understand why he's projected to go that low overall, especially in a weak well, linebacker class. I, I think that uh, some of it stems from the linebacker being devalued and that skill set. But even even relative to other linebackers, I don't yeah. understand. Now, look, we kind of you I talked about earlier with Devin White. I think yeah. there is an over-aggressiveness to his game. If there's yeah. a knock to me, it's that. He gets caught out of position at times, not because he doesn't know what he's doing, but his instincts just trigger. But you can coach that, right? I would love to see what he looks like if he gets a year to work with Gerard Mayo. I right. think he could be a special player. What was like, this is a lofty comp. This may be like the ceiling comp. I don't think he'll be this player, but player type. Wasn't Fred Warner like a third-round pick? He was a third-round pick, but yeah. Fred Warner was a third-round pick. I would. We talked about this earlier, actually, on one of our draft preview yeah. uh, shows. I think Fred Warner was a third-round pick because the league wasn't ready for Fred Warner yet. Okay. If if Fred Warner was in the draft now, I think he'd be a first-round pick. But because it was just enough time ago that like that hybrid safety linebacker, yeah. undersized guy was still a little bit of a I don't know. It just they weren't there yet as a as a league. Yeah. So again, I just think he's a slept-on player in this draft. Okay. I really like him. All right. Um, Who's your third one? So I, I thought about going with Ronnie Hickman from Ohio State, yeah. but we've talked about him. Michael Jefferson was a guy that fit this category yeah. from Louis. Unfortunately, he got in a car accident the other day. Oh, I, I so, didn't see that. Yeah, I, I I just wanted to use this to say I hope he's doing okay. And a guy yeah. that I, was great talking to him at the Shrine Bowl and I think can play in this league. I hope he gets yeah. back. Uh, I thought about Holton Aylers, the quarterback from Central uh, from no, Eastern Carolina, just to no, no, you didn't. kind of just to needle you a little bit, yeah, I want to. He he's going to be here. He's going to be UDFA. Max Melton from Rutgers, a corner. He's going to be here. He's a UDFA. Blocked three punts last year alone. Special teamer. Yeah, and yeah. it's going to be UDFA. Special Max teamer. Melton, Patriots, blocked three punts last year. The real guy I'm going to go with, not even because I think I want them to take him, but we've been doing so much, Evan, on the pass catching backs, right? Mm -hmm. Deuce Vaughn, Eric Gray, uh -huh. Evan Hall. Oh, they're going to take a pass catcher. They're going to take a pass catcher. They don't yep. trust Pierre oh, Strong. Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky. Oh, my goodness. Would be like, – because last year we were all on them taking a big back. Right. Right? And they took a pass catch. I mean, they took a big back too, but their big running back pick was Pierre Strong, the pass catcher. Yeah. I think they still believe in, in Pierre Strong, but do they trust Kevin Harris? Damian Harris is gone. Chris Rodriguez, six foot, 220. So he's a bowling ball. Bowling ball he's back. Just, uh, who's the, uh, the, the back from UAB? Similar, similar player. So I it's it's Dwayne McBride. Yeah. Dwayne McBride, I could totally see them taking Dwayne yeah. McBride. My, That's their type of guy. My kind of weird comp for him, you know how I do these weird comps, like I compared Dewan Jones to Tariq Wollin. Yeah. Dwayne McBride is the Bailey Zappi of this draft <laughs> as a running back in that let's be honest, Evan. Why a what big is, Okay. I'll explain it. I understand. A big but... part of Bailey Zappi's 
draft makeup was the production. Yeah. You look at a guy that puts up the numbers he did, and you think, well, there has to be something there. Yeah. Right? Dwayne McBride put up insane numbers at UAB the last yeah. two years. He did. Watching it, it what, what conference is that? What level? CUSA. Yes. Yeah, watching him. Watching CUSA people trying to tackle Dwayne McBride is hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's like when JV goes up against varsity. He was the leading – he ran for, I think it's 2,100 yards last year that was second in the nation, but first was the running back from Air Force. That doesn't yeah. count. They don't throw yeah. the ball. And he led with 20 touchdowns. Like, the production's insane. Yeah. He's going to be early day three. If they wait until late day three, Rodriguez was the SEC's leading rusher in 2021. They also drafted the SEC's leading rusher in 2020 and Kevin Harris. 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns, was limited a bit by an injury last year, but you know who was injured, who was limited by an injury a year after leading the SEC in rushing? Kevin Harris. <laughs> they need that no. big goal line short yardage they, back to replace Damian Harris. They, a guy that's they gonna, don't need that. No, but you can't have Ramondre with a 70% usage rate anymore. That's why you should draft Deuce Vaughn or Eric Gray. Or, or you let Ramondre eat on passing downs, and when you just have to pound it home at the goal line, who are you going to let take those hits? Chris Rodriguez. He also doesn't fumble, so there's that. That's big. Can't fumble. All right. Two-time team captain as well. Th those my guys were very, very fitting. Mine were like my guys, but top 100. Yours were the guys also – Pretty consensus players. Yours were Servasio Dennis and some guy named Watch Servasio Dennis. You're going to like him. Yours were the guys you want them to take. Mine yes. was, okay, one guy I want them to take, Dennis. But the other two were guys that, I, regardless if I want them to take or not, they're going to take. If they draft Servasio Dennis, I'm never going to hear the end of it. That's all I know. Nobody, I have <laughs> not seen one person. It's not just you. Sometimes there's guys that like get hyped up to the Patriots and you're annoyed by it, but it's like, a, like Dalton Kincaid. <laughs> yeah. Not that I'm in on Dalton Kincaid. Yeah. I have seen no mocks. No, not. I feel like I'm missing something. I go back and rewatch because I'm like, what is here that clearly has everybody else so turned off? Or they just haven't seen him. But I think he's just flying under the radar. I think he's flying under the radar. He's Wait, not. Can you please me, watch him? When I tell you, I'm fine. I, I have some free time now because the hay is basically in the barn on the top of the draft. So, right. Servacio Dennis, I guarantee you that if he can play, the league is not. He's not lost in the weeds for the league, right? Tariq it, Wollin went in the fifth round. Yeah, fourth round. It, was it the fifth? It's the fourth round. I think it was the fifth. Was the Don't wrap up the show yet. The fourth round. No, we got one more thing to do. Okay. Then we're gonna wrap but, up. But uh, Tariq Woolen went in the fifth round. God damn it! One fifty three. We did. We we forgot to get to this last week because we got sidetracked. I want to make recency bias picks of the week. We got to okay. do recency bias picks of the week. I think you know where I. You might know where I'm going. I'm trying to remember my, who it is. You texted me about something I, I last night. I had a night. good one last week too, and I'm trying to remember who it is. Maybe when you're giving your take, I'll see if I can yeah. find a, where I wrote it down. My recency bias pick of the week for people that don't know. I think regular listeners of the program do know that I have very bad recency bias, and when I I watch a guy on tape, I instantly fall in love with every player that I watched yesterday. That's just the way that yeah. this works. So the guy that I have recency bias for right now. Nick Saldaveri, the tackle from Old Dominion. Look at I've got you in on two Old Dominion you, players. Look at this. Two Old Dominion players. Uh, really, really, really advanced pass protector. Great feet, great technical sound with his hands and leverage and footwork and landmarks and range and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he just looks apart. You put him up on the film, he looks apart. I watched him against some ACC opponents because the Old Dominion level competition concerns. I know Virginia Tech and Virginia are not yeah. exactly 
Ohio State and Georgia, but I watched him against some better teams just to see how he did. Uh, holds up really well. I think the funniest thing about him on the Old Dominion line is he's just so much bigger than everybody else that you're just like, oh, so who's the guy I'm supposed to be watching? There he, there he is, you know, because he's the only guy that has an NFL body out of this right. group. So it's pretty obvious. Uh, he's really technically advanced as a pass protector, more of a of a positional run blocker. He's not a people mover in the run game, yeah. but he gets his, himself to where he needs to be, walls off guys, uses his good footwork, uh, can really zone block, down block, things like that on the move. I was really impressed, and I, I'm not. I think people hear this and say, "Oh, like it's the next Cole Strange. They're going to draft him at 29." You know, now we're going to have a Chattanooga lineman and then an Old Dominion lineman. I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I know Alex, you did a bunch of of uh, research yesterday. I think it was on how often do they really go out yeah. of top power five schools and less than average. It's less less than, than the average think. NFL team. I, yeah. I think he's probably like a third or fourth round pick, uh, probably an early day, day three guy, but I'm not saying that uh, Nick Saldaveri is coming in to solve all of their problems at tackle, but I think he'd be a really good guy to add to the room and, and maybe be a starter long-term. He played right tackle last year, so maybe he's more of a right tackle prospect, but a really fun player to watch on tape. Do you have a, a recency bias guy? Yeah, so last week it would have been Byron Young. Yeah. kind of stumbled, who I already talked about. Um, how much do I want to annoy you with this? That's the oh. question. So. Is it recency bias if it's Jordan Battle? Because I've loved Jordan Battle from the beginning. I kind of forgot about him and just started watching him. That's recent bias. I because I was I, that's, I that's said that he might push bias. branch. Recent okay bias. then, uh, I kind of mentioned him in passing, but now that I get to talk about him more, Max Melton from Rutgers, oh, cornerback, no. projected Why are your UDFA. Recency bias is projected UDFA because Evan, because the guys that you're talking about. I found four months ago oh when I was God. sitting there watching college games. That's like six months ago now. When I was sitting there watching, watching college games. Okay, maybe not Old Dominion. <laughs> but um, who who was your one from last week again? I, oh, I remember now. So my one from last week is yeah. Riley Moss, who I really okay. like a lot. Yeah, he'd been on my list. Yeah, okay. Can Charlie Jones. Finish I, your yeah. UDFA spiel. Max Melton has been a starting corner at Rutgers for the last three years. 6'1", 200. Didn't run at the combine or his pro day, but he's supposed to be like a mid four fours guy. Okay, uh, I didn't run though, so who he knows? struggled. He, so he's very hot and cold in coverage. Like his numbers are okay; they're not yeah. great. But it's he has a great game and he's a not so great game, and he's a great game and he's a bad game. And it, there's little like consistency there. It's not like okay, well he's great against the bad teams and he's not good against the good teams. It's really all over the map. So when I see that, I think upside. Yeah. Right, like maybe it's a reach, but untapped upside. But the other thing is, Evan, yeah. he blocked three punts last oh, year alone. God. We got to go with the he special. He covers teams, kicks. Guys. He covers punts. Now they're going to draft him in the. He second went round. to Rutgers. Max Melton. That's my recency bias guy. Second round. That that laid that laid out the second. Well, round. okay. So to be fair. Whenever we do this every year, and I put out my mock drafts, and I put out the big boards and this and that, and people say, oh, you don't have enough players from Rutgers. Who are they going to take from Rutgers? They haven't drafted a player from Rutgers yeah, in 10 years. Yeah, They took three in two years, and then they got another one as UDFA, and everybody was like, oh, my God, Rutgers. It was – well, but but to be fair, Shiano's back. So that's the thing. It was a Greg Shiano thing. Yeah. Shiano left. He's back. Now he's back. So now I think maybe they get back into it, but – 
Right. Bill because Belichick loves to draft from Rutgers. Is this his second year that Chiano's been? Third, I think. Third. So you have to keep in mind that a lot of the guys that were there when he first got right. there aren't his guys. He wants the guy. Bill wants the guy Chiano recruited. Right. Which right. is, I don't know if he recruited Melton, but he's been mostly a Chiano player for yeah. three years. The Patriots only draft from Rutgers might be the biggest Patriots draft myth. You know what school they've taken more players from than Rutgers in the last 10 years, Evan? Alabama. M- yes, but also <laughs> Alabama, Michigan. Yeah. Marshall. Yeah. Marshall. Aaron Dobson went to Marshall. Aaron Dobson. And Aaron Dobson. The Marshall. kicker. There is one Marshall player in the draft this year. He does have a Patriots tie. Do you know who this is? I might, but I don't know who you're talking you about. You have a guess? You want to guess? No, I don't know. At corner, projected seventh-round UDFA, but he had a very good year last year. He ended Notre Dame's chances of going to the college football playoff with a pick six. That would be Stephen Gilmore, the brother <laughs> of Stephon Gilmore. There you go. He's got a – it's a little bit. He's a little Steph in his game. I, as a UDFA, I, I, it's kind of the same thing as Melton. There's enough there that I'm like – Let's bring him to camp and see how he does against NFL talent. I'd be curious. Yeah, so last week mine was Riley Moss. Yeah. I, I really just like the way that he uh, – he's another – kind of like a Skaronsky, but for corners. Just somebody that just always seems to be in the right place. He's not the stickiest at the top of the route. He does lose receivers at times at the top of the route, but I thought he did really, really well against Marvin Harrison Jr. in the reps that he lined up across from him, and he's a ball hawk. I think he had 11 career interceptions at Iowa, uh, played over 2,000 snaps in that defense, has a ton of experience, smart, savvy zone player with some ball hawking instincts, uh, got the long speed to hang in man coverage if you want to leave him on the outside. I know he had a rough senior bowl week. I know that he's not the most, uh, like I said, not the stickiest at the top of the route. If there's a guy, there's two guys in this draft, and then we'll wrap. There's two guys in this draft that I fully believe are going to be players that have the projection to potentially switch to safety. Riley Moss is one of them. I think that he would make a really, really good free safety because he's yeah. he, he's rocked up. Uh, he ran a four four. He's got the instincts to play deep, uh, the deep middle. I think he'd make a really, really good safety, and that would get him away from having to cover the more dynamic route runners uh, in man coverage. The other guy is not really. Didn't think I was going to bring this guy out today, but I think Keely Ringo is a better safety than he is a corner, too. Uh, I want to try him at corner, though. The would, upside's so exciting. I would try Keely Ringo at corner longer than Riley Moss. Yeah. But I think Keely Ringo would be a ridiculously good safety. What about poor Faith? Because <laughs> you've seen her looking in here. Yeah. What about Jartavius Martin? Or do you just see I him as a safety? Do you just think he's a safety? No, but I'm saying as a corner, who I think could he's maybe a guy that safety. could maybe play the nickel if you needed him to play the nickel. Yeah. But I would rather him at free safety because he's got that length. So you range. think he's a safety that could move to corner compared to because I've seen him listed as both. I think that he played technically. Yeah, I think he probably played more corner at Illinois in the nickel role in the slot. But I think he's a safety. Okay. In terms of what his skill set is, it's a safety skill set that can play some corner. He, to me, uh, Jatavius Martin, just from the way that he plays, not yeah. necessarily the background of the player, but just all the, the details of him on film, he's like the closest thing to Devin McCourty in this draft where he's got that More ability. than Jordan Battle? I think so. I think he's okay. got more range than Jordan Battle does. All right. But – he was also a better athlete. Like he tested better. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I've said this all along, and I'm sorry. I know we're going long, but I said this all along that the 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 safety class is terrible. It's, it's bad. not good. It's not. It's terrible. Just say it's terrible. It's okay. okay. It's, it's terrible. No, no, no. There's Alabama. 
there's Illinois. That's it. And then there's nothing. Right. That's what Maybe, I'm saying. Maybe if you want to talk to me, it was Jamie, uh, is it Robinson? Jamie Florida Robinson, State? Florida State's fine. If you want to talk He's to fine. me about Jamie Robinson, like we can have that conversation. But like I mean, after that group, it's terrible. I'm pretty, at that point, just like, it's all UDFAs after like those five. Yeah. There's guys who will be drafted, but I'm saying. I tried, I tried with like JL Skinner and Brandon Joseph. They're going to draft JL Skinner. They're going to Cameron McGrone him because he uh, got yeah. hurt. He's going to miss the year. Anyways. Him so, and Andrew Voorhees from USC. Antonio Johnson is, his NFL.com comparison is Kyle Duggar, but then he bombed the combine and is like a terrible athlete. I've seen him compared nope. to Adrian Phillips. Yeah, I saw that one, I think, the other day too. Maybe that's closer because he's not closer, but it's not dynamic of an athlete as Kyle Duggar. This safety class blows. You can't. It's here's the problem. I think there's some guys that have some technical skill. There's a lot of slow safeties, and you just can't be slow and play safety every, in the modern NFL. Every single safety is a four or five, right, or, or above. And in you this just class. you can't be that slow and play safety because at that Tavis point, Martin. At that point, a team's going to put a linebacker on the field. At that point, a team's going right. to put a guy like Servassier Dennis yeah. on the field over you. By the or way, the Washington State kid who I like. Yeah, I looked this up. Uh, yeah. Max Melton last year against Ohio State. Hang on. Why, why is this relevant? Because I was trying to say he's because I, I said he's inconsistent. People are going to say, "Oh, well, he sucks against the good teams." Yeah. Against Ohio State, I don't know specifically who he was covering, but he was credited <laughs> for 32 <laughs> coverage snaps. Evan. Yeah. He allowed one catch on three targets for four yards. Good job against. Ohio State team full of NFL receivers. Second round pick for the Patriots. All right, so you you have homework. You got two guys you got to watch: Servassier okay. Dennis and Max Melton. There you go. They, they might not make the draft guide, but I'll I'll watch them for you. I wouldn't expect you to put them in your top fifty, but if you yeah. do like a top seventy-five for Dennis, hundred for Melton. Yeah. Okay. So next week we'll do a standard show next Thursday, uh, the week out before the draft. We're gonna do a show during the week of the draft. Probably not on Thursday, though. It'll probably be uh, maybe on Tuesday or Wednesday of draft week. But we got two more shows before the yeah. draft. Uh, so we'll have all the preview coverage, all the latest meetings and whispers and rumors and stuff like that. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.